change the world through education. Each week we bring you a new idea, however big and bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now here's your host and my dad, Ryan Scott. Hey, hey, hey to my friends out there in the big internet land. It is Mr. Scott or Ryan for my friends. We are back with the Big Ed Idea podcast. Um, As I record, I am looking out the window and it is a nasty, rainy evening. Um, But we are super, super lucky because I am bringing a girl that brings the sunshine with her everywhere she rolls. Um, And so I'm super excited to introduce um, my new friend. Actually, uh, I think we've been friends now for about a month. Um, This girl is super um, athletic. She is a mom. She is a wife. She is an enthusiastic educator. Like I said, she is athletic because she is a CrossFitter. She is a speaker, an author, and now she serves as the director of media and communications for Dave Burgess Consulting. Um, Please welcome Miss Tara Martin. Tara, thank you so much. Thanks, Ryan. I'm excited to join you today. Super excited. Super excited. So like most of our conversations, at least through the Twitter sphere, revolve around um, exercise and uh, what we have done that day to um, hurt our bodies. And so I'm really excited this evening, um, we get to sit down and talk about another passion of ours, and that's education. Yeah, I'm excited too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I actually have more than one um, <laughs> lane <laughs> that, I, that I cruise in. It's not always fitness, although it seems like that's what most people think of me as. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, and, and you know what? That's okay because... Um, you will definitely, I think, agree with me. Um, as educators, it's stressful, and we have to have outlet, um, another outlet. Otherwise, we will go nuts. And um, I discovered it. Um, I mean, I grew up playing select soccer. I played soccer from the time I was four till I was nineteen. And um, ath- being an athlete or what or being fit um, was a part of my life. Um, then I left it for a little while and started teaching. And I have discovered that. Going to the gym is my form of meditation. Yeah, same. It definitely, I think just any form of whatever it is that people need to do, I always say whatever it is that makes you healthy and mind, body, and spirit, I mean, you have to do that. You have to make time for it. And honestly, I think that's the key. If you, like CrossFit is scheduled into my calendar and everything works around it. That's just the way it works for me. And it's it's really just that important to me. And the only reason I post so much about it is because I want people to see that it's it's not like I work out one day a week and then something magically happens and I am fit and I feel good. I want people to see consistency. And I think I think more often we need to share our other journeys, whatever it is. Um, we need to share that we we do some other things consistently too. We don't really just live to work. Amen. Amen. Balance, 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 balance. I learned that the very hard way. Um, This last summer, me and a group of guys read the book Atomic Habits, and I really, really, really fell in love with the concept of the 1% better every day. And so um, no longer do I look at improvement as a um, kind of a sprint. Um, You know, it's more of a marathon. So if that means that, you know, uh, when I'm at the gym, I'm only increasing, you know, my weights by like five pounds a month. I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with that because at the end of the day, I'm 1% better than I was yesterday. Amen. Yep. Amen. <laughs> All right. Um, Miss Tara, we're going to just going to go ahead and jump in if that's okay with you. Good. Let's do it. Okay. So this first segment I lovingly call the two for two and it is my way and it's our way to model for all the educators out there. Um, Just this concept of connections before content. Um, Just the concept that uh, you got to know somebody first um, before you can really start to, well, not really change them, but uh, before you can start to get into the deep stuff. So I've got a couple questions for you that are totally unrelated to education. And I have I told you these questions prior to our recording? No. Okay. So, folks, these are totally off-the-cuff answers. She has not had any time to prepare for that, and that's how I like it. So, 
Tara, you and I are about the same age. We've been in education for about the same amount of years. And um, I don't know if it's because I just had a daughter graduate or what, but I'm starting to think like I'm almost, I'm just about halfway done with this whole work stuff. And so I've started to look, now it's still a long ways away, but I've started to look at retirement. And so I'm wanting to ask you, what is your ideal retirement plan? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know, Ryan, that I will ever like actually retire. I, I, get I am such a go-getter. Like I still envision myself, like even as an elderly woman, I think I'll live to be probably 150 even as an elderly woman, like in a nursing home, I can see myself like managing the bingo games and <laughs> making sure everyone has the snacks and all the great things, the beer, the whatever they need to like feel satisfied. I feel, I feel like I will always be in some sort of leadership role, doing something, serving others and helping them to live their best life. Like no matter how long that is. Um, so I can't really even imagine just like chilling on a beach for the rest of my life. Like, sure. although I love the beach and I think having longer vacations might be something in my, uh, retirement, um, schedule, but I feel like I, I will be working in orphanages overseas. I will be like helping manage, um, nursing home facilities. I, I think I will always have my hand in some kind of service project somewhere. Oh, I, yeah, I don't sit still well, uh, sit still very well at all. Um, right now, my ideal retirement is to travel overseas and be a principal of an international school. Um, I speak pretty good Spanish, so I would love to go down to South America, uh, maybe to Spain. Um, uh, yeah, that'd be cool. But yes, I don't, I told somebody today, like, if I retire before I'm 60, I will be very surprised. Like they're going to have to throw me out. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just always envision myself working in some capacity. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That was a very good one. Good answer. Thank you. Yeah. So um, I changed this question. Um, I had one written down and kind of spur of the moment I changed it. Um, what is your favorite song or playlist at the gym? Ooh. That's a good one. Um, my favorite song right now, I at the gym. Yeah. Man, man, it's inappropriate for an educational podcast. I would guess. no, 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 no. <laughs> I would imagine yeah. it's not Taylor Swift. Um, <laughs> Shania I, Twain. I think, <laughs> any any music that is at the gym for sure is just it has to be like a driving beat, yes. um, profanity, yes. I'm cool with that. I like all the things. Like, yeah. I feel like I lift heavier when it's just loud music. I can't really hear all the barbells dropping everywhere. I have sensory issues anyway, so I don't want to hear all the clanking. I want to hear the music so loud and just like be in my zone. So um, anything that's pretty inappropriate is pretty much what I like at the gym. Like there's a song though that I love right now that I'm just like play on repeat. I'm a Justin Bieber fan. So on the flip side of that, like while I'm cooking, while I'm cleaning, hanging out at my house, I am so into the song, There She Go. If you haven't heard it, you've got to hear it. It's so fun. Um, By the Biebs? Yes, it's slightly inappropriate too, but I love it. So. He has a couple of peaches. I'm really into that one. They both come from the same album and um, one that's called Hold On. But There She Go, that's the one I play on repeat. Hey, I'm going to play that. It'll so. change tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I get it. Um, I have got a playlist that I play at. Um, I am at the gym, which I work out at our um, high school every morning. I'm there by five in the morning. And basketball players sometimes roll in while I'm working out. And I have a a uh, playlist that is about two thirds '90s hip hop, so like uh, Jurassic Five, uh, KRS One, like some old school hip hop, but then juxtaposed with like screaming loud, like Deftones, Corn, Rage Against Machine, like 
but like you said, like the louder it is, and I'm serious when I say this, the more I can like meditate, like. Yeah, it's, it's like, I just get it. It's almost like, I'm not really listening to it. Yes. Kind of like in the zone. Um, I'm kind of more uh, over the hard rock though. I'm more like uh, Nelly, Chris Brown, like some of the rap, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I like all kinds of crazy stuff. Amen. Hey, that's okay. That's totally cool. <laughs> All right. So my friend, now that I know more about you, why don't you ask me a couple questions? Yeah. So I have this thing called Real Plus the Innovators Compass um, on my website. So if anybody is looking at these, thinking about these questions, <laughs> I decided to ask a couple of questions from that. Yeah, um, that sounds good. The Innovators Compass is just a series of questions to get to know people. And we use it to get to know our students, but I also use it as an administrator to get to know my teachers that I had, the teachers that I was so blessed to serve and the coaches. And so I um, thought I'd ask you one of those questions. Um, it's in the third quadrant. And the question is, what are, and it can be more than one, your big dreams, those dreams that seem kind of unreachable, something that you want to accomplish in this lifetime, but you haven't yet accomplished, personally or professionally and since you said it can't be education related so let's just go with personally um okay. big juicy dreams those things you haven't gotten to accomplish yet okay tell me, tell me as many as you can think of and then i'll tell you the second question which stems off of that one okay so the first one um and i actually started working towards it is to hike the appalachian um my friend and i have started doing section hikes um three-day hikes at a time. And um, prior to COVID, we were actually going to start start down in Georgia and go for weekends and try to do the whole trail over the next, shit, 30 years or so. Um, so I started doing that. Um, my next one, I'll tell you something I have always, always, always wanted to do is to, and, and partly this is because I at one time owned a 1977 Volkswagen van. Um, I want to drive to the tip of South America on the Pan Am Highway. Like, I would just love to get on that road and just head south and go as far as I could and just meet the people. And I think that would be incredible. Um, and then I guess my last one. So a part of me wants to start my own school. That's what I got. I love it. I love it. So my, my second question would be the last question in the quadrant where you ask the people, um, like, what steps are you taking? Basically, I formed the question based off my book, Cannibal In, like, what will you cannibal in in the next month, two months, year to step in the direction to accomplishing those big dreams so you already talked about what you would do or what you've already been doing for the first one but what about for the second one or the third one okay what, what might you do like in the next little bit to kind of inch your way in that direction so for the drive south i've kind of always i've already been doing this when covid hit i purchased the uh duolingo app um i had the free app on my phone and then i purchased the the actual app and so for 365 days, I've been doing at least 10 minutes of Spanish practice every day. And I also work in a high school where we have a pretty, pretty big percentage of our students are mostly from Guatemala because um, we have a Tyson chicken plant and they employ quite a few folks that come directly from Guatemala, don't speak any English. And so I get to practice quite a bit and the kids have grown to where like they just expect me to talk to them in Spanish and they will tell me if I didn't say it right and um yeah I love those kids and so I I would like to say that that's kind of baby yeah. steps in the right direction of course yeah um and then as far as building my own school um I don't really know if I'm taking any steps in that direction other than I am compiling a list of all of the crazy things that I want to see in a school that aren't in a school. No, that's perfect. I think that's a great step. I've always um, 
thought about like revamping an orphanage into an innovative school. I think that's something that would be, the orphans just kind of have my heart anyway. And yeah. so I have just always wanted to go overseas and like take something that seemingly, I don't know, second, like it's just a throwaway, like yeah. people just put the kids there because. Yeah, yeah. And then turn it into something incredible that everybody wants to be a part of, but. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I <laughs> only I for the kind of privileged kids. I I really just don't I don't want it to be like some elite school. I want to like No, I start completely completely get it. I love the kids. Um I love the kids that at the beginning of the year somebody comes up to me and says they're never going to make it. They're not going to graduate. They're not going to do anything and um I every one of those kids I sit them down, we have a conversation and I say, here's what I want you to do. When you graduate, I want you to walk across that stage and give everybody the middle finger that didn't believe in you. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It, it's absolutely true. Because um, they need somebody to believe in them. I mean, that's that's the only reason I am where I am today, because of teachers, coaches that believed in me, honestly. Sure. I mean, otherwise, I would go telling where I would be right now. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yes, I'm right there with you. I've got a very similar story. Um. So I was privileged to, I interviewed two folks, I want to say, let's see, Day, David Knott was my first interview. Yeah, uh, two folks that worked for the Milton Hershey School in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, and it, that is like the quintessential, like taking low socioeconomic kids, like as a res residential place where, you know, these kids are taught the arts and languages and so stinking cool and um yeah that would be so amazing so cool so yeah. cool all right my friend before um we get way off track um which is cool <laughs> which is cool um let's bring it down back and let's get back onto our education um kind of the, into the education realm as far as why i brought you here tonight um you've kind of alluded to the fact that education wasn't your, like, it wasn't a linear step. Um, it definitely wasn't, for me, it definitely wasn't something at 15, I said, I'm gonna be an educator. And I knew exactly what I was doing. So I'm really, really interested in how education found Tara Martin. Oh, okay, awesome. Um, so one, I guess if we take it a little bit back, and this might take me a second to explain, but we got I think I'll take it all the way back to second grade. In second grade, I, um, started the, the year learning my letters and sounds. So I was terribly behind my peers. Um, as most of educators that are listening to this, you know, in second grade, you should be reading by then. Um, and so I met Mrs. S. She was my second grade teacher and um, she is one of my heroes, honestly. Um, she took me under her wing, honestly. When I started her class, she, did not judge me based off my family history and education was not a priority in my home. I grew up in a very abusive home life where parents did not value education, nor did they finish school. So graduating high school was like not necessarily something that I was set out to do. And so I never seen it done yet, like as at that age and at any age sure, <laughs> in my sure. family. So I became the first generation graduate later. But um, in the second grade, I remember Mrs. S just asking us, like, what do you want to learn at the end of second grade? And all these kids were saying all these things like, I want to learn how to pop a bubble or climb the monkey bars with no help, you know, all these things that second graders think about. And I was like, I want to learn how to read. And I was just tired of being mm. picked on for being the stinky kid for you know, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree kid, like the kid that no one thought I was going to mount up to much of anything. And so my favorite said, kid, you, you want to learn how to read, you're going to learn how to read. And I, literally, I went out to recess. And I thought like, when I came back, I was going to sit down with the worship <laughs> table and boom, like, yeah, there you go. Down. But it didn't happen like that. Every single day I got off the bus, I got to march right into class while everybody else had to sit outside on their backpacks waiting for the bell to ring. And I, I thought I was getting all these special privileges. I had no idea I was getting tutored, but she fed me granola bars. She gave me a hug and 
I don't really know the rest is history of how she taught me to read that year because I'm pretty sure it's granola bars and hugs. That's the only thing I can remember. But um, I learned to read and not only that, I learned to write. And so writing became my passion. She bought me this little diary and I got to write and just share things that were a struggle for me. So I found this outlet. Then in the meantime, she started to discover all of these quirky things about me that was causing me to be bullied by other kids. And sensory processing disorder wasn't a diagnosis back then, but she gave me all these fidgets and I had special, special privileges that I could stand up during math. I didn't have to sit. And there was just different things they did for me, her and the counselor, and they just, helped me and I i mean I thrived not only that year did I grow all the way up to leveling up with my peers and surpassing them I actually never struggled in school again from second grade on so all of that to answer your question this teacher became this influential being in my life that would tell me stuff like she believed in me and and you are greater than your current circumstances I didn't know what all that stuff meant all I know is, I mean, she was blown away with the gains I had made. So naturally I was blown away. And so it gave me hope that as a little girl, and I didn't understand this then, but I do now, that brains can actually be rewired, that humans can actually believe in somebody so much and put just a little extra effort. And that was probably a lot to her, but we've talked about it since then. She felt like it was just like what she did for anybody. And so, um, in fact, in my graduation speech way later, I was talking about Mrs. S and how wonderful she was to do this for me. And afterward, my peers, my senior peers, <laughs> senior age peers were like, Oh, you thought you were so special. Like she did the same thing for me. And I was like, how is that even possible? Like I was the only one I got to go in, but I think great teachers just do that. And she, she really left an impression on my heart. Even though I left high school wanting to be a neuroscientist, I had scholarships, I pushed myself and, but never did it leave my mind that Mrs. S gave me all this hope. There were lots of people along the way. I had coaches. I had more teachers in high school that really just kind of gave me push that I needed to. But, um, and then the people and the families that took care of me in and out of the home um, within the, my friend groups too. So I had a lot of support in other places, but I remember going to school, to college, starting college in nursing and then wanting to be a neuroscientist. That was something I really wanted to do. I wanted to study the brain. I knew my brain had been rewired. I really wanted to know like, how people think and how do we help them steer their thinking to a more positive direction, a more uh, productive direction. And um, I kind of wanted to be like a neuroscientist, a life coach, something like that. Well, that was like kind of my dream. But I went for nursing. And then I quickly found out that I was like, not going to make it. I had the highest grade point average in all of my classes by the third semester. We were entering the nursing program by the fourth semester and I could not handle blood, vomit or anything stinky. So it was like- Well, that's a no-go. It was a no-go. <laughs> my professor was like, have you ever thought of doing something else? And I said, you know, I kind of want to be a teacher. It was just like so random. And um, she said, I'm going to put you in this class where you get to like teach these little social studies lessons that are already prepared. It's called Junior Achievement. Yeah. And um, you can try it out this summer. So that's what I did. I went and tried it out in a couple in a summer school for two weeks. And I loved it. It was like where I belong. Okay, I was the Mrs. S. And so I immediately was like, this is what I was born to do. Like I was just all messed up. And so uh, she's like, no, because neuroscience and all the things that you've been so passionate about are going to totally help you be a better teacher. So and I true. Definitely yes. think it did. Yes. I mean, you are constantly dealing with the mind and brain-based research. And how do I help students like reach their best self you know how do I help them discover their best self and move forward in a positive direction all the things that I wanted to do I actually got to do in teaching and in education and so 
Yeah, that's kind of how education found me. That's a long answer. Sorry. No, it's a beautiful answer. And I really mean that. It is a absolutely beautiful answer. And I would, so another thing that I'm pretty passionate about is ACE scores and using ACE scores to identify students at risk early, early on. Um, and then using, because um, I would imagine you would probably have had a high A score just yeah, from my your a score is a nine. Yes. So I use it in my keynote, um, nine out of 10. <laughs> if you don't know the maths, it's a 10. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, definitely not. I was definitely a student that people statistically would have probably thought that I would fall off the wagon. <laughs> I mean, that was what was destined for me. And a lot of people will say, well, like, what made you get out of it? Like, how did you break free of it? And I, I honestly, I don't think I did it on my own. No. I know I didn't. And I know that for me, it was a lot of things like Mrs. S helping me to realize that you can have these wins, these seemingly small wins that actually were monumental and changed the trajectory of my future. And then also you can have like people in your life, like my coaches, definitely in high school who found my strengths. Like I joined all the sports because I wanted to never have to go home. But the truth is I was super talented in those areas. And so, and they would just help me play to my strengths and anybody in your life that can help you to push you to play to your strengths. You don't have to focus on the weakness or the disadvantages that are given to you. And I know I was very privileged as a white female. I get that. I, I, I know that. And so I know it would have been worse had my race been different, but as far as socioeconomic and um, sure, abuse sure. and trauma, I definitely had to deal with that a lot. And so having those people in my life to help me to play to my strengths was super helpful for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So A scores, children of poverty. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a firm, 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 firm believer that schools should be focusing more on the psychology than the pedagogy. Um, just because when you look at, um, I, I saw the statistics the other day that Children of poverty have a are two times more likely to have an A score of three or more, and students with an A score of three or more are 32 times more likely to struggle academically. So, in my opinion, if we were to use something like the ACE score in kindergarten, we could identify kids super, super early coming to us that we know are going to struggle and um yeah, so I love your story. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, man, I would have loved to have met you as a kid because I bet you were a lot of fun. Well, I didn't have very many friends. <laughs> well, I would have been your friend. I absolutely would have been. Your friend. <laughs> I didn't so, have friends in, in elementary. I, I got a few in high school just because I was decent at sports. <laughs> that works. That works. Um, okay, so now that I know kind of, you know, how education found you, um, you, I had said in the intro that you were an author, so I want to give you a, you know, a sec to talk about, you know, what your book is, what it's about, why you wrote it. Um, yeah, talk about your book. Uh, yeah, well, I have two books. So my first book is "Be Real, Educate from the Heart," and you've heard a little bit about the story of that one. You know, just um, the thing about "Be Real" is I wanted to write that book. Well, after I wrote the book, I kind of thought it was just for me. And I told Dave, like, I don't think we want to publish this. I, I mean, I feel better having written it, but I think I'm good. We don't have to publish it. It's kind of personal. It has a lot of my um, upbringing in there and how that helped shape me into the educator I am today. But it, so it'll have like a story that's very personal and probably a little bit too real for most people and how I use that story to like help me to be more empathetic for the people that I serve. And so how I've taken those things that could have destroyed me and use them to just give me new levels of empathy to serve people. And so, and it has strategies for how I did that in the classroom. So oh, it's cool. basically a story, part memoir, part um, 
teacher strategies. Mixed teacher I may strategies. order that when we jump off tonight. <laughs> well, I'll just have to send you one. Yeah, you, you that, that works too. <laughs> and then um, my picture book, which I'm super excited. I think that's what you were most interested in talking about. It's called Cannonball Inn. And so Cannonball Inn is based on a true story. It's based on the father who spent the most time raising me. Uh, he looks nothing like me, by the way, and you can tell that in the book. He is native. Uh, he is a Cherokee. And so super cool having a little redheaded white uh, girl. <laughs> and my dad, and I love it because, you know, we didn't look alike. And so it was um, not as common back then. And so I really wanted a picture book that like depicted cool. that story more, more truly. But the best part about this story, this is my favorite project. This is one, there's only been a handful of projects that I've ever really been proud of. This is one of them. Um, and I love it because we didn't get to go to the city pool very often. It cost money. So we would get to go one or two times each summer. And I remember this just being the most exciting time of the summer. Summer was a really hard time for me. It meant not where, you know, worrying about where food was going to come from and all these things and, and being home was scary anyway. And so this is one of the highlights of my summer going to city pool. So the book is written in this at the city pool where my dad, he had taught me how to swim so beautifully in the shallow, but I really, 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 really wanted to join the cannonballers. Like, I wanted to join the jumper so bad, but I was so terrified of not being able to touch over there. And I know this is a story like, you're probably like, oh, this is so basic, but let me get there. Um, so my dad came over to me one day and he was just like, Tara, when are you going to jump? And I'm like, dad, I just can't touch the bottom over there. Like, and I was this great swimmer, just in the shallow. And he's like, you don't need to touch the bottom. Like, you know how to swim. And eventually he convinced me to go over and to try and jump. He run, grab both knees, hold your breath, jump, just do it. And I was such a chicken. I waited in line, got all the way up there, just like little kids do, scanned the whole pool. And then I was like, scared to death, had to go back down. And then everybody was making fun of me. Well, I was not, I was always made fun of. <laughs> this is like made it extra worse. And so my dad convinced me again, like he, <laughs> he just kept pressuring me. And this was the day, like I was going to jump this day. And so I went back into the line and I was determined, like, I don't care how scared you are. You are going to do this. You know how to swim. You have the foundational skills for this. Like you're just gonna run and you're just gonna jump and you're just gonna pray you make it back up alive. And so I did it. And I ended up swimming, having all this doubt. One of my favorite, Genesis Kohler is my um, illustrator and she, oh, this book is just so cute. But I want to show you this picture. I know we're like, nobody can see this, but look how beautiful the underwater. Oh, wow, is. that is pretty. So pretty. And so like when I'm push when I'm pushing here, like stroke with each stroke, I'm like pushing doubt behind me. She's pushing fear behind her. I, she's pushing, I can't behind her. And she's pushing, what if my splash wasn't big enough behind her? And she's swimming to the right. top because she knows how to swim. It's like she can hear her dad saying it over and over, you know how to swim. And then when she gets to the top, man, Ryan, she's feeling like a rock star. She's like checking out the waves that she just <laughs> made. I mean, it's ripples, but you know what? It's waves when you're seven years old and you're feeling like a rock star. But there's the dabblers. So there's these three girls, and this is true too. Uh, the dabblers are sitting on the side and they were wet, not wet. They were perfectly dry with makeup, beautifully just sitting there judging all the jumpers. They're not wet. They're not jumping. They're just judging everyone that is jumping and just saying how embarrassing like my splash was. I got a wedgie. They saw my bottom like when I hit the water, just making me feel like a fool. So I, of course, as a little girl was headed straight back to the shallow. It was humiliating. I hated being humiliated. And my dad had stopped me. And what he said to me at this moment, he said, where are you going? Like, what are you doing? You just did that. Like you just can't involve He was so proud of me. And I'm like, dad, did you hear them? Like my splash wasn't big enough. Um, they saw my bottom, <laughs> like, no, I'm not trying this again. And he told me, 
something that I've taken with me for the rest of my life. And that's the main reason I wanted to write this book, but also it's just something I always think about when I'm taking a risk, trying something new. He said, you know what, Tara, you cannonballed in. Like you pushed fear and doubt behind you. You did that. And you weren't born to sit on the sidelines and watch the jumpers. You were born to jump. And I think there's so many people out there that have these big dreams we talked about earlier. And they're so afraid that they don't have it all figured out yet. Well, I didn't have it all figured out when I got in the deep end. Yeah, and that's okay. But I didn't want <laughs> I do one thing. You swim until you make it to the top because you don't want to drown. And I think that's how it is with so many risks that, you know, we take as students, as adults, it doesn't really matter. And, um, and I think we can't let the dabblers stifle our growth in that area. They aren't even jumping. Like right. what, how does their opinion even matter? matter. And that's what my yeah. dad said there. What is their opinion even matter? How do they, do we even know they can jump or swim? Like, why are you taking advice from someone who is not doing what you're doing? And I love what Matt Frazier says. We're both CrossFitters, but I love this quote that he said, if you wouldn't take advice from them, you shouldn't take criticism from them. Yep. And I think that's a really good point. But in the book, um, it comes full circle. There's a couple of little kids that saw her do the cannonball and they were super stoked about it. And so they called to her, hey, that was the best cannonball ever. And she was like, my little splash, the best ever. And they were like telling her their fears, which was very similar to her fears, the onset. And she said, hey, you know how to swim? Take my hand, I'll go with you, let's cannonball in. So she carries the kids over. And so I feel like I wrote this book because I wanted people from ages eight to 80 to feel like they can do something big. They can chase that big dream. They can take that risk. They can try something new because they probably have the foundational skill for it. They just need to take it to that next level. And I also wanted them to realize that you can push past the fear of inner doubts, but also the fear that comes from the outside. And there are always people that are watching you. And while your splash wasn't as big as the 200 pounders, it was making an impact and it made a difference for somebody who encouraged them to then take a risk. So we need to just keep doing what we do and not letting people stop us. So that's what Campbell and is all about. I love that. That's, and that's a great metaphor. Um, it's a great metaphor for life. So now that we know a little bit about you, we know about your books and all of that stuff. Um, and I feel like your idea is going to probably pop up from one of those books. Um, but first, before we get into your idea, I got to know what your problem, what is the problem of education that you see that your idea kind of, you know, hopes to alleviate? Oh, man, I thought I was sharing my idea. <laughs> oh, well, let's let's jump into that then. <laughs> no, we're good. I'm sorry. I wouldn't no. have elaborated that much. I thought that was the idea part. Sorry about that, Ryan. No, no, you're good. We can totally go with that because, okay, yeah. so what is I your idea? Your question. I'm good. I, I do live shows all the time, so this is good. I So if I backed up, I think the problem in education is, what I think, I think, first of all, I want to salute educators. I, I feel like you guys are killing it out there. And this has been a tough year. Like I haven't been in the classroom and I have zero room to speak this year, but I just want to commend you for the excellent work you're doing. So you aren't a problem. <laughs> Nothing you're doing is a problem. But I will say like in general, I feel like, we don't provide enough opportunities for students to experience failure and growth at it comfortably, yep. yes, on their paper, but I'm talking about like cannonball in experiences, the entrepreneurial type experiences. Like I'm going to have this great idea. I wanna to try to create it, but there's gonna be ups and downs. And I don't think it's because teachers don't want to. Mm -hmm. I really feel like it's the demands in the states um, of the high stakes standards test that's driving a lot of what we have to do. And I honestly feel 
Like if we spent more time doing that service projects, I, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of just like building a cardboard box and say I built a cardboard box um, thing. I'm really not. I, I want to, and in my classroom too, I wanted to create an experience to where students had to create something for a purpose. Yes. Like we're not going to design, think, and create something to sit in the back of the room, take a picture of it, post it on Twitter, and boom, we did this. We measured all this stuff. Right. That's it. Right. I want to create something that like we have to like measure it all out, create soap if we do, bring it to the homeless. Like I want to do something that has a purpose and has like some kind of service at the end. That's to me, that's kind of building that entrepreneurial spirit, which we we know <laughs> having COVID come by that like we need more of that, right? We had to experience ways to make money in multiple different ways, no matter what company you worked for. Um, and that was the kind of skills people were looking for and needing in their companies to help think through like, how are we going to do this differently? And how are we still going to serve our people and meet the needs and make money? Like we had to do all those different things, no matter what business you were in. I mean, education, not so much, but other businesses for yeah, sure. Yeah. And so I feel like we have to foster that mindset in education. And that's why I feel like the Cannonball Inn is a mindset. Yeah. It's, it's more than a cute little metaphor in a picture book. It is something that I feel like as educators, we have a responsibility to instill that in our students that yes, you can. Like you are going to mess up. Did I feel like my temples were going to explode? It talks about that in the book. I did underwater. I thought, oh my gosh, like I'm not going to make it to the top. Am I going to make it to the top? But you will. And I think we need to be put under those kinds of pressure because especially when it's something you're passionate about, I wanted to do that. I wanted to cannonball it. It was something that I wanted to do. And if we let the students' passions drive the learning, it's so much greater. And if it has some kind of service piece at the end where it's actually serving a purpose and they watch those people be benefited by what they learned and what they created, it's a game changer. All the skills and standards, we need them to learn, they will learn it. It's just a matter of getting our bigger system on board with this, way, this idea because it, it is the skills that people are looking for in the future. I worked for an entrepreneur. He built his company straight off his kitchen table and he hired me, not because I had all the credentials he needed for this project, for this job, for this role, but because I was a cannonball inner. You weren't That's afraid to fail. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I failed a lot. <laughs> and I learned a lot. So a couple but, things, couple things I want to reflect upon because I love, 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 love the last 10 minutes of our conversation. Um, when kind of when I when I say the problem of ed, I want everybody in, out there to understand and like I'm not saying that there's like anything wrong with our educators. I'm using it, ed like big ed, like what's wrong with the system. Um, yeah. And I completely, 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 completely agree with your um, takeaway that kind of the things that we've made important in education really aren't that important. Um, I'm a firm, firm, firm believer in some say the four C's. I say the five C's. Um, that's what we need to be building every single lesson, every single assessment. Um, our education needs to be built around collaboration, communication, creative thinking, creativity, um, critical thinking. And then um, the last one is civic mindedness. So it's kind of that altruistic um, I would love to see, very much love to see what you're talking about, where kids are asked to um, create something to solve a problem, uh, maybe a community problem, maybe a state problem, maybe a world problem. Um, and I've talked about this before. Um, we are so past just delivering content. That is so um, 20th century. Um, we have been talking about 20th, 21st century skills for 21 years now. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it is beyond time. Um, just to, I'm going to steal a page from your book. It is beyond time for our system to get it right and start teaching our kids to cannonball in. 
Yeah, it's true. Um, Dr. Dr. Zhao, he worked here at KU for a while. I got to be on a couple of projects with him and incredible educator. Like if you don't know him, you should look him What's up. What's his name? Dr. Young Zhao, D-H-A-O. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his okay. name. That's how I always called it. Um, he's incredible and he's very passionate about design thinking, but only if it has that, that last piece of serving. Yeah. Um, it's, it has to be done for a purpose. And that's why I think a lot of kids don't buy into it because it feels like you're just having them. Yeah, they're actually getting to manually do something instead of a worksheet, which is nice. But when you add the, the authentic audience, no matter what that is, it makes, it's all the game changer and it's not just for the public. So I'm not just gonna write a blog so everybody can read it, but I'm actually trying to solve a problem. Like, so when, for example, uh, our kindergartners here in Lawrence um, grouped up with a group of kindergartners in Shanghai, um, China, and we had a seesaw class. And I was telling Dr. Z about this and I was so stoked about it. I was like, this is the coolest project ever. And he's like, what's the purpose? And I'm like, well, they get to know each other. You know, they're like talking back and forth in Seesaw. They're loving on each other. And he's like, but what are you going to create? I mean, what's the, what's the purpose? How, are you, how is this project going to serve them? I'm like, well, it helps them to know there's a bigger world out there. And all these things are great, right? But he helped me to create a better project. We ended up writing a book together that uh, it was a digital book. And they're kindergarten, right? So they're learning to write, they're learning their letters, they're learning all this stuff. And we were learning about their world and they were learning about ours. So they were writing in English um, about their world, just parts and pieces. Their pieces of the book was telling us about their area in English, which they had to do. Yeah. And they needed to learn and read English better and we were learning to write in English. So we were writing about our world, our area, Lawrence, Kansas, in English. And then they got to read with the voiceover app in Seesaw. And so we got to help them. Our kids got to peer tutor each other on pronouncing it better. And they got to explain to us what this stuff even was, because yeah, we didn't sure. even. And so it became a service project, if you will. And parents were loving it. They were super excited about it. Parents were learning how to read different parts and pieces of English. And so our projects that we're doing out there could be, it could be that we're doing some great things, but then how do we take it to actually serving a purpose? And Dr. Z really helped me to think about that in that way a lot. And I love it because I think that's what we do out in the world. That's what we yeah. do when we get jobs. When I got this job, I wasn't sure how to do this job. I didn't know how to serve readers. I didn't know how to work for a publishing company. I had written some books, that's about it. You know, like I didn't understand. And I remember the first thing that Dr. Z taught me, he said, what do your people need? Like find out what your people, the target audience needs. Well, my target audience, at first was the authors. And I was like, what do the authors need that work, that write for DC Inc? What support do they need? And so why don't I just survey them? And that's what we did. And that's how I started to build out my role and figure out like, what am I going to create and put in place systems in place to serve them? And then it became, what do our readers need? Yep. And then it became, what does the big world of education need? Right. But it, it had to start with a need and then I figured out how I was going to learn to create, to build something that met the need. And it changed the everything. And it was the drive that I needed to do this job. And I think there's a lot of jobs out there that we're preparing kids. We say this all the time, that we don't even know they exist. So we don't. So we know the skills that we need to teach those kids. And that is how do we serve our people? How do we find out what they need? And then how do we take the skills that we have ever so foundational and cannonball into the next level to learn something to meet the need and then cannonball in again and learn something and meet the need until we build a system that actually serves the purpose. 
I love it. Um, there's a reason that Marvel Comics is so huge right now because I think secretly everybody wants to save the world and everybody wants to change the world. And I think uh, kind of what you're alluding to here is that um, if we teach our kids and show our kids that whatever we are getting them to do could fundamentally um, improve their worlds, why wouldn't they be more engaged? Why wouldn't their, um, you know, if you increase their engagement, then their um, achievement's going to improve. And if their achievement improves, then, you know, so yes, I love that concept of cannonball in, of uh, don't be afraid, just do it, essentially. Um, and kind of like you said, just keep doing it. It's true. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be misleading that the foundational skills are not important. Remember, sure. I knew how to swim. So that was days and years, because <laughs> I only went to the pool a couple of times a year, of training, you know. So the training still has to happen. It's just like in sports, like most of the time we spend training. Not Absolutely. every day is a day. It's the small and stuff. So, yeah. So the fundamentals have to be there for them to figure out where to even start to solve the problem. So I'm not saying that we can't do that. I'm just saying when we do these projects, I feel like we need to give them opportunities to not be successful and to keep trying and to keep trying until they find something that will actually work. Yes, I love that because um, I tell high schoolers in my office every day um, that life is the hardest thing you ever have to do. And if anybody ever tells you different, they are on drugs or they are an idiot. Um, and I love to tell them my own story. And I love to hear your own story that, you know, it's not always going to be easy. Um, but at the end of the day, your life is going to be worth it. Um, and I and I and I love what you're saying. Like, I wish we could do a better job in education, getting our kids, especially those kids that you and I love the most that come from homes where, well, I mean, I've spoken on this before, but learned helplessness is an epidemic that we don't talk about. And so in my, in my future school or my perfect school, um, teaching hope to my students would be just as foundational as teaching um, history. And I love, love, love your concept of um, Cannonball in. I'm going to start using it now. Um, I'm definitely going to order a copy of it for my daughters because I think it'd be something that we could definitely read together. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to listen to all the different ages, like relate to it because the littlest kids, you know, they're so literal. Yeah. Like take me to a pool right now. I need to Cannonball in. Hey, we've got, <laughs> we've then, got one at the back, back door. We could try there it. You go. And then the bigger kids, they're like, hey, this is applies to my life today. And I was going to say one more thing, Ryan, too. I feel like sometimes I say stuff and I feel like people misinterpret it. But I, like my son, he had a great home life, right? I gave him everything I didn't have. And, and he, that kid knows that I love him more than life, literally. Um, but that's the only kid I have, by the way. Um, but I don't think that he experienced school in the way that I feel like he deserved. I, I really don't. So my passion is not only for students that are underprivileged, because Caleb was very privileged. He went to a great school. But my passion is for all students, really. Especially, I just feel so passionate. I feel a different level of empathy for students like me that grew up similar to me, just because I feel like I can relate to them. But there's so many students out there that grew up either in worse circumstances than mine or better, but still didn't get to experience this whole cannonball into learning fun. And I hate that. It just, it disturbs me. I wish we had that for all students. I think every kid out there deserves that. And and they that would benefit them moving forward for sure. Yeah, yeah. Resiliency is absolutely the antidote to learned helplessness. Um, so to all my listeners out there, if you haven't already, you need to Google Tara Martin. You need to Google Cannonball in. Um, you need to check her out. I'm telling you, um, I will be ordering two books as soon as I jump off here tonight. Um, so Miss Tara, I feel like we are starting to kind of 
I guess, dwindled down to the end of this whole podcast thing. Um, it has been really fun, really fun, really exciting. Um, I've had several goosebump moments today, tonight. Um, I always told my students that when I had goosebumps, it meant I was super happy. Um, I'll tell you, your second grade experience really reminds me um, of my most favorite year of two years of teaching. I taught a class, a second grade class, and we affectionately called them the crack kids. Um, they were the kids that were too high for SPED, but they were too low to be in the normal class or the general ed class. And so my principal gave me the challenge of doing anything and everything I wanted to do, anything. And so every day we had a community circle and every single day I told these kids that they were hand selected from the entire elementary and we were going to do this amazing experiment to see how much a kid could learn in one year because um, somebody somewhere had picked them out as being the best candidates. And at the end of that year, every single one of those kids grew 20 to 30 points. And um, I can see some of those kids that I had that they had, they did not learn until second grade how to read. Um, so I can totally see you as a little kid. And it's awesome, awesome, awesome that you had that experience with Mrs. S. And I pray, and I'm sure you probably did, but I pray you have told her um, how much she meant to you. For sure, for sure. She's heard it a few times. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, thank you for having me so much. And yeah, if anyone's interested and they do read The Cannibal Inn, no matter what age group you read them, read to them um, on my website, I have some free lesson plans that go with it. It's completely free. There's a bunch of activities too that you can do with just stuff that's in your classroom. Um, if you go to Tara M, there's an extra M. So Tara M Martin.com. Um, you just go to books and you'll see Cannonball in there. And if you uh, hover over it on the right-hand side, there's like activities, free lesson plans. There's even videos of me teaching them how to do the activity. If you don't even want to teach them, you just send them to a station. You could do that too. And no matter what age group they are, it works. I've done it with teenagers, I've done assemblies with teenagers with this book. And then I've also done it with preschool. So it works for all different ages. All different ages. Thank you very much. Um, Tara, thank you very, 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 very much for joining me this evening. Uh, like I said, it is absolutely dreadful outside this window, but it is awesome to talk with you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Well, it's beautiful in Kansas, so hopefully you get some of <laughs> Anyway, we'll see. And so to my listeners out there, I'm going to end us like I always do um, with a quote on dreaming. Um, Dream as if you'll live forever. Live as if you'll die today. So to my friends out there on the Edgesphere and in the Twitter land and in the internet world, um, thank you for joining me on episode number 31. Um, this has been a wonderful ride, and thank you for joining me. Um, if there's anything that I can ever do for you, don't hesitate to reach out to me. You know how to get a hold of me. Um, and like my grandpa, John Janoski, used to always say, I will see you in the funny paper. <laughs> Thank you for hanging out with me here on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. My hope is that this would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds and a space for one person's vision to inspire the passions of another. However, none of this can happen without you. So let's be change agents together and build a better future. Please subscribe or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Come to the conversation with your passion, and together, let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper. <laughs>